Welcome to the Anxiety Recovery Podcast. My name is Valerie. I'm an anxiety mindset coach and hypnotherapist. You know that moment where you are absolutely at peace in the present moment. I believe that is what we are all at the pursuit of. And I want to help you get one step closer by up-leveling your health, mindset, and love for yourself. Because that happiness and lasting fulfillment can only be created and found within. So get ready for all things mindset, mental health, and self-love. I hope this serves you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Recovery Podcast. I have a really special guest today. Fiona, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi. Hello, everyone. I'm just honored to be here. Um, My name's Fiona. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner that focuses primarily on, I help people mostly with thyroid issues, hormonal issues, and gut issues. And I'm just super excited to finally meet you and just have like a very holistic conversation around some of these things. But yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Yes, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. We're going to dive really deep on the correlation between anxiety, hormonal issues. A lot of people talk about chronic pain, like like just a general sense of chronic pain, where it might be stemming from, and like digestive issues, you know, how anxiety, stress, and trauma can just like really make everything out of whack. So I thought Fiona would be the perfect person to have on for this. So Fiona, tell us more about like your story and what kind of led you to this work. Yeah. (laughs) Anytime I get asked that, I'm like, where do I start? And I'm sure you can resonate with that too, because I've had such a lengthy history of health issues. Like it probably started genuinely at age five like my whole life I just thought it was normal to have chronic digestive issues and I think when that's your normal and then you grow up your entire life like that you don't even think of it as abnormal if that makes sense and my mom had IBS my grandma had like it was in my family so then they were like oh that's normal because that's what I experienced that's my normal so that's normal for you and normal does not mean optimal so I went through my whole life just having chronic digestive issues thought that was normal Mm -hmm either be so bloated. I look six months pregnant or having chronic diarrhea seven times a day. (laughs) Um, and I I like to be very candid about these conversations because it's like, it's something that in my opinion, that shouldn't be stigmatized because the more people talk about it, the more we recognize, okay, maybe that's actually not normal. Um, and then my health really rock bottomed when I was maybe 16. So I, it's like hard for me even to think of a time where I didn't like now at age 27, I probably, I feel better than I did at age 16. Um, started just having debilitating periods, like passing out, throwing up from pain, um, then developed hormonal acne, went on birth control, went off of birth control, and then that whole deal. Um, and when I was on birth control, mental health really rock bottom. I know you wanted to talk about like the relationship between hormones and mental health. And a lot of people, I th- don't quote me on the, on the statistics, someone uh, fact check me on that. But it's around 40% of people who go on hormonal birth control that, that, ex- that are later put on antidepressants. I call it the uh, birth control, the Prozac pipeline was very much on that. And then went on antidepressants and this was all in college and then later developed thyroid issues and autoimmune. So it was kind of this thing that snowballed, snowballed 
snowballed, snowballed. I always say it's never one factor that leads to chronic health issues or chronic illness. It's, and you are very holistic in your approach. I think it's trauma and like history of antibiotics and growing up on pop tarts and cereal and like all of the nineties kid food. Um, and all of the, and then stress and call like existing for most of my life in a chronic state of fight or flight. Like we do not heal. It is impossible to heal in a fight, a chronic state of fight or flight. So it's like all of these things compounding to, to me, it's like an, an inevitable Hashimoto's or autoimmune diagnosis. And now my autoimmune disease is in remission after all of the work I've put in on my nervous system, my gut, my like getting my mineral levels where I want them to be. So that's like my history with spark. I could go really, really deep into like all the nitty gritty, but that's like the spark notes of my history dealing with like hormonal gut issues, autoimmune stuff like that. Yeah. And that's so important. Just destigmatizing and talking about these things because a yeah. lot of these like symptoms, even just gut issues for, for example, and chronic pain or being on birth control, it's super common to feel bloated all the time, feeling like you're six months pregnant. Like you said, just feeling like just debilitated being in your own body. And yeah. for, for me personally, like I have similar issues, like from from 14 to 21, like when it, when I was 21, my, my health really hit a rock bottom as well. And I remember I got tons of tests done. It said like autoimmunity was present, uh, you know, horrible freaking gut issues. I was in chronic pain between like 14 to 21. And yeah. so it's like having a whole holistic system, you know, get, getting your, your mindset, right. Your physical health, everything you said is so freaking important. Cause now I don't feel debilitated in a 20 year old yeah, body. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like I'm really, I love asking people's opinion on this. Do you feel like, cause I know you've really dove into like the wellness space and all of the holistic modalities of healing. Do you feel like it was mostly nervous system stuff? Like mostly trauma? Like if you were to say, okay, is it 80% trauma or 80% nutrition? Like what ratio do you feel like it was? Yeah, definitely 80% trauma. And especially yeah. like just, just using the example for bloating. Like I remember, like I didn't really have issues with bloating uh, I, I don't really have any anymore, but like yeah. my last breakup, they kind of like triggered like yeah. bloating. And I'm like, what the fudge is this? And I literally felt six months pregnant all the time. And it really had to do with stress. Well, and I was like, not, I was eating, like it, it was too much of what I was eating for my body. Mm -hmm. So that was also what contributed to that. But yeah, like I remember in college telling a friend like, you know, if we start like arguing or I, I start to feel anxious, like I'm going to feel it in my body and it, it it's not a good time. And, and a lot of people who, who I, who like clients of mine, they usually have a comorbidity of like hormonal issues, digestive issues, anxiety, and then like chronic pain of some yeah. sort. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Could you talk more about like your approach on how you help clients with like digestive issues and, and thyroid yeah. issues and what kind of like common signs would that be to look out for? Yeah. So the way, so the analogy I give my clients is the health house. 
which I made a couple TikToks on this, but I think it's just like a tangible way to think about it. Because if you are on wellness TikTok or you're like in the wellness space, there is so much information and literally everything feels like a priority. It's like Jessica's poofing out worms and she goes, (laughs) oh, you know, the reason I was depressed and anxious is because I had worms in my butthole. And then this, you know what I mean? Like it's so much information or I took this probiotic and now I'm magically healed. It's like, okay. Let's reel it back just for a second. We've got foundation of our health house, bricks of our health house, roof of our health house, and then the throw pillows. So it's like, you can't, it's like in Monopoly, don't pass go until you have this down. Like you literally cannot pass go. So the foundation is like, in my opinion, the work you do, like working through trauma, nervous system regulation, are you like, how are you living? What is your stress level on a day-to-day basis? Is it at a one or at a 10? Because you can do all of the throw pillow stuff. So the parasite cleanses and the random supplements that Jessica, the influencer is telling you to take on TikTok. Like you could be doing all of those things, but those are the throw pillows. Those are the things that might move the needle forward 0.01%. And it's like, what, how would you like to spend your time doing the things that are going to move the needle 70% forward or 0.01% forward, 70% forward. And that's the foundation of your house. So to me, like that is a little, those are the things I refer out to. So referring out to therapists, practitioners like you, like the nervous system things, I definitely give my clients tools as well. But I think that's Mm -hmm. like where it comes to having like a team on your side. If you're dealing with a lot of these health issues we're talking about. So that's a piece. And then also sleep and movement. Like that's your foundation. If those three things are not down, do not do the parasite class. Like that's not not on the docket. That's not a priority. But then again, it's like, I, a a common DM I get all the time is I literally do not know where to start. So that's why I kind of break it down in this manner. Cause it's like, oh, okay. That's, that shows me what I should be prioritizing because even if we talk about the gut microbiome studies show that movement, like exercise can shift the ratio of good and bad bacteria in your gut. And so Mm. that's like, so, so, so important. They even say, like, Mm. I always say you have to move to have a bowel movement. Um, Mm. Our bodies and our our genes expect us to move. We're the most sedentary generation in all of human history. We need to be moving. Um, So Mm. I can guarantee you sitting at a computer for 12 hours a day, that's screwing with your digestion on top of all of the other things we're talking about. And then in my opinion, the bricks of our house are like, that's nutrition in my opinion. So um, minerals, like, you cannot, for example, vitamin D is really important for digestion, vitamin A, um, zinc, uh, amino acids. This is why bone broth's really popular. I, I think bone broth's good for some people, not good for others. I think that's why it's important to work. I think working with a practitioner can be beneficial because there's really no one size fits all when it comes to health. So that's nutrition. And then roof of your house, in my opinion, might be like very targeted supplementation. So for example, I take a supplement called NAC and that's really beneficial for liver health. And your liver is where a lot of your thyroid hormone is converted. So we got to love and support our liver. So like, that's just a gist of my approach and my philosophy working with clients. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's like the way I like to break it down. So just like you said, holistic, like the physical physical, mental, emotional, like addressing all of those aspects of of health. Yes. That is so freaking important because like, if you just have one of those, like if you just have, let's just say, okay, you're working on your stress and then you're working on the physical, but you're not working on sleep is both. Well, if you're not working on sleep, everything, nothing's going to 
work together or like like you can't have just one you have to work with 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 everything and like you said I think that's so important like you going back to the basics because like you said people on the internet are like Jessica's doing a parasite cleanse maybe I should do it too but it's like actually actually no like before doing that jump going into the throw pillows like you said we need to make sure that our, our basic level needs are our basic foundations met and in order like sleep, stress, you know, are you eating garbage? Like, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, and it's also like a lot of privilege of me being like, oh, Absolutely. you know, are you eating healthy? It, it's Absolutely. like even even just me, like I'm gluten free and shiz is so much more goddamn expensive than yeah, and then inflation so, y'all yeah it's it, ten dollars for a loaf of gluten-free bread I genuinely my heart goes out to people with families right now that are trying to feed mm-hmm. five like a family of five I, I literally can't even imagine so it is it definitely is a privilege but I always say do the best you can with what you have that's all we can do at the end of the day yes. but you're right it, yeah it's expensive yeah. it's expensive it is it is. And like, for me, for example, and I'd love to ask you, like, do you see a difference in people's mental health when they switch out their diet? One million percent. And I like, if let's say we're just talking about the conversation surrounding hormones. Like a lot of clients who come to me are either struggling with hormonal issues or thyroid issues, both impact your mental health dramatically. So like, I'll just speak on my experience with Hashimoto's in the beginning stages of Hashimoto's. It's very common to be both hyper and hypo. Um, and I talk about Hashimoto's so often because around one in 10 adult women will develop Hashimoto's at any given point in their life. It disproportionately impacts women. So when we're hyper and hypo, what that looks like is depression, anxiety, depression, anxiety, overactive, underactive, diarrhea, constipation. So you can kind of feel crazy because you're kind of flip-flopping between both extremes. It's actually very common. And I, mental health is so, 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 so nuanced. Um, mm-hmm. But it is very common to have Hashimoto's and then get misdiagnosed as something like bipolar because of how thyroid issues, Hashimoto specifically impacts your mental health. You have those very high highs and low lows. So a lot of my clients find that just by making like a few very targeted nutrition changes and just working on nutrition, we can see a massive difference. Just what I've observed in clients, we can see a massive difference in anxiety and depression. And then to, to circle back with hormones, I know we were talking about this before the podcast started, like low progesterone is so common. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And if you're someone who, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like two weeks out of every month, I want to lock myself in a room. I'm, for me, it was, I literally had to lock myself in a room. I would get in fart and farts in fights <laughs> with my partner constantly because just the smallest little things would trigger me and I was just much more on edge um like the two weeks leading up to my period and it put a massive strain just on relationships on um I I literally felt like on I post on TikTok it's like I would post consistently for two weeks and then the two weeks before my period just fall off the wagon so hard because it was just I was barely able to function and it just makes me so sad thinking about the number of people that feel like that's just the way it is or I just have to accept that when that can be a sign of imbalance in the body and that goes back to okay let's get your gut health in check 
Let's make sure you're getting in all of your minerals. Let's make sure that you're ovulating so you can make progesterone. I I call progesterone as our feel good hormone. So if you feel the opposite of good, like if you feel anxious, irritable, like two weeks leading up to your period, these are things that I even see on Instagram. It pisses me off. So many memes where it's like, "Mm, this is just part of being a woman. This is just part of having a menstrual cycle. And it's like, no, like, can we stop? normalizing this with meme culture like that actually you actually don't have to accept that and that can be a sign of other imbalances in the body so um yeah I definitely like mental health and physical health they they cannot be separated they are intertwined yes a thousand percent I agree with everything you said and and a common dm that I get from people is like my anxiety or like, I just have to accept it. I just have to like control it when it's like, you are not supposed to accept something that's causing like physical harm to your, your body, mental harm. Like you're, you, it's affecting your relationships. It's affecting your work. It's affecting everything around you. How is that not, it's, you need to look deeper in your, your physical body, your, your, what's going on with your mental state, because it's It's not something to ignore. Yeah. It's, it's debilitating. It's not something to ignore. And like, it's, it's huge to, to look at. I just, yeah, I can't agree more with like you, this isn't something to accept. This isn't something to joke about because it's something that needs to be worked on at the root cause right and and like for me like for example uh like when I eat gluten I feel really really depressed and for me like we respond in like that same way to gluten it's actually creepy it's a little spooky yeah I've never met anyone that responds the same way as me me either and what Fiona is talking about is like like trigger warning this is like about like suicide ideation and stuff is I'll just instantly get really, really triggered. And like, and for me, it's always two days after I eat gluten. Yes. And literally, yeah. yes. It's, so and it's dramatic. And that's yeah. something too. Like, did you experience that your whole life? Like, cause I'm sure you grew up eating gluten. Yeah. So for me, I feel like I was just used to being like anxious, like growing up. And so for yeah. me, like when I eat gluten, I feel like suicidal thoughts, like I am unwell. Mm -hmm. And, and so for me, like growing up, I just was like used to feeling really on edge, anxious. Sometimes I would get suicidal thoughts and I wouldn't understand why. And yes, I had childhood trauma, but then when I got rid of gluten and, and sometimes would introduce it back in, or I accidentally ate gluten holy moly, it was not a good time. And like normal tools that I was using, like a lot of nervous system regulation stuff uh, and things that I, that usually can snap me out of these states, it wasn't working because it is, it's fairly, really extreme. Like all of our bodies react very differently, but for me, it's really extreme. And like a lot of the time, like now, if I will call my mom or a friend or talk to my coach, they're like, oh, did you eat gluten? And I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My heart just goes out to you because I've gone through the same thing and it wasn't until, and I don't recommend this for everyone. Like I never recommend that people just start cutting foods out of their diet willy nilly. So that's not like the takeaway for me bringing up this point, but like I, when I 
finally did like I committed to a six month elimination of gluten because gluten can also linger in the immune system for quite some time. And I, I find a lot of clients because I, I work with a lot of clients with autoimmune and Hashimoto's gluten is like a top, 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 top trigger for Hashimoto's. And um, they'll come back to me after a week and say, I don't feel better. A lot of times from just what I've observed working with clients, a good three to six months of committing to that and just see mm -hmm. if your mental health improves. Um, because it, that's something I've also observed within myself and it's dramatic. Like I went to, I got a gluten-free pizza from Domino's. I'm like, I should be fine. Like it's a gluten-free pizza. Turns out just tons of cross-contamination and exactly like what you said, had a full-blown mental health episode two days after eating that. And it's just, it's something that's not talked a lot about. And it's, again, when we, when me and Val are talking about how health should be holistic, it's like, we're not saying that, I mean, if you want to go foraging for berries in the woods, go forage for berries in the woods. But that's like not what we're saying when it comes to like holistic health. It's like, okay, physical is like nutrition, then mental and emotional is like the like therapies you provide, like RTT therapy. And that's what we mean by that is it's like these things are all connected rather than when you go to your job, like a lot of Western medicine, not shitting on Western medicine. I think there's a time and a place for it, but it's not holistic in my opinion. It's like, oh, when I was diagnosed with depression, it was, um, here's this paper, here's this clipboard with 10 symptoms. Oh, you checked seven out of the 10 boxes. Well, I guess you have clinical depression and we're going to put mm -hmm. you on Prozac after a five minute doctor's visit. It's like we, if we truly had holistic healthcare, it would yeah. be let's do a full thyroid panel and then let's yeah. check your minerals. Are you deficient in magnesium? Because mm, guess what? If you're deficient in magnesium, which 80% of the American population is, that's associated with adverse mental yes. health outcomes. And what about zinc? And what about vitamin D? And what about copper? And what about vitamin C? And uh, what about food intolerances, sensitivities? And then working through trauma, it's like, that's holistic healthcare, not, oh, five minute doctor's visit. Here's Prozac. Have a good time. Like, that's what I have an issue with. And it's not to say there isn't a time and a place for pharmaceuticals or pharmaceuticals for your mental health. Like I'm, I never want to stigmatize that ever, ever, yeah. ever, because I think in the wellness space too, people can get into those water. I, like again, holistic, it's just looking at every perspective and not saying, okay, like five minute visit. Yeah. You have clinical depression. Sorry about that. Like, um, are you going to check my thyroid? No, no. Cause we don't have holistic healthcare. Sorry to go on a tangent. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's that's what we're here for. No, that's yeah. perfect. No, I, I agree a thousand percent. And like, for example, uh, so like my grandpa is a pharmacist and yeah, uh, yeah he, you know, and, and no, no shame to any pharmacists or anything like that. But like he was very every pill for every ill and any any issue slap a pill on it. And uh, my grandma is currently on like 18 different medications, 18. Horrible. It's so bad for you. And like like I remember he he told me she had a thyroid issue and she takes medication for that. And but it, it's never like he just you stop there. The thing yeah. is, like what Fiona and I are, are discussing is. It, more tools, more empowerment, definitely make sure you have those foundations that she mentioned instead of just, okay, let's slap a pill on it. Let's not investigate any further. Yeah. That's it. I just have to control or, or manage my symptoms. And that's totally understandable, right? When it comes to 
any sort of physical or mental health issue, but we also need to address the foundations, trauma, sleep, what are we eating, minerals, all, all of this stuff. And it's so important to dive deep and not just stop at, oh, there's a pill. And it's like, well, now like my grandma has like dementia and it's like, I'm sure that that doesn't help that she's on like 18 different medications that, that totally alter your, your brain chemistry, you know? And it's like with any pharmaceutical, it's like, you have to weigh the pros and cons with your provider. And my biggest issue is like, let's use birth control as an example. I'm not here to tell anyone what they should or shouldn't taking, what they should yes. or shouldn't be taking. I'm not your doctor. Um, but when you go on birth control, it's like, did your doctor tell you it depletes B vitamins, magnesium, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin E, like all of these minerals that are critical for you to have healthy, like good mental health. And did they tell you that around 40% of people that go on hormonal birth control or later prescribed antidepressants? Like, did they tell you that? And did they tell you um, that you're more likely to develop thyroid issues, leaky gut, uh, food intolerances, food sensitivities? No, they don't. Like, it's five minute doctor's visit. Here's the, oh, you have period pain that's making you pass out and throw up. Cool. And I know when I was 18 and I was more naive and I just, I was in so much pain. I was like, yeah. literally just give me whatever, like to make this go away. Cause I cannot function. And like for anyone listening, that's like, no, I, I have to be on that. Cause I can't function. I understand that, but also let's get to the root as to why. Cause that's a sign of a very, very deep imbalance. If we're passing out and throwing up from period pain. Like that deserves deeper investigation than let's take this pill to cover up symptoms. And so when you mentioned your grandma's on 18 different medications, it's like, all I think when I hear that is like her minerals, her yeah. minerals. And like yeah. for anyone that's unfamiliar with this conversation surrounding minerals, like magnesium is a mineral. You need it for mm -hmm. four over 400 enzymatic functions in your body, which means your body cannot do 400 drops. So let's say you're on four medications that deplete a zillion different minerals. That's thousands, thousands Ooh. of drops your body physically can't do. And then we're sitting here like, why do I have migraines? Why do I have hormonal acne? Why do I have all of these gut issues? Why am I tired all the time? Because your body is deficient in minerals. It needs to do those things. Um, so I just like when we're just becoming more empowered patients, what that looks like is, you know, going to your doctor and it's sad that patients have to initiate that conversation. It should be the doctor initiating that conversation, but asking, Hey, what are the side effects? What minerals does this medication deplete and how will that impact? Me? And that's my biggest mm -hmm. issue is like that, that conversation's never had. Yeah. Yeah. Cause in my mind, I'm like, do they even know? Cause I know you, you talk about on your, on your social media, like, I think you said it was either 14 or 16 hours of nutrition training is what doctors are like. 18. They less, yeah. Less than 18, 18 hours. High end. Yeah. 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 I heard once it was like four hours of nutrition training and it was like optional. So it's like, who knows, you know, and it's like, that's really important. Like for example, with animals, right. If their stomach hurts or, you know, we switch their food, what do we do with humans? We slap a pill on it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, you know, you know, you know, Western medicine has a time and place and it's like, what's the root cause? What's causing your stomach to, what what is causing you to be in so much pain? And I know a lot of people talk about with mental health issues, uh, Hashimoto's and just like, you know, 
uh, digestive issues, IBS, just all everything that you help clients with. A lot of people say, well, you know, my mom or my dad or my parents or so-and-so it's genetic. Could you talk more about that? <laughs> that like, I'm sorry, I need to like take a step back because that fuels me. And I hear that all the time. And that's like no shade to anyone who's ever said that. Like when I had less knowledge, I probably said that too. Where, and I hear a lot, all the, all the women in my family have fibroids. All the women in my family have uh, endometriosis. All of the women in my family have Hashimoto's. All of the women in my family have autoimmune. And it's like, okay, let's take a step back. When it comes to genetics, it's like that very overused quote that genetics load the gun, but lifestyle pulls the trigger. You have the power to turn on and turn off different gene sequences, epigenetics. So it's like your genes don't, you can't like manipulate your genes, but you can, it's like a light switch. I can determine whether they are on, whether that gene is being read and expressed or whether it's not. And so let's use like the work you, like Val does as um, all, all the healing work that you do and you help your clients with, someone's nervous system being dysregulated, someone living for 20 years in a chronic state of fight or flight, that could contribute to certain genes being turned on and that presenting as chronic health issues. So mm. like, I hear a lot too, like I have the MTHFR gene, Okay, but we can also control if that gene is being expressed or not. And I just think it's a really disempowering narrative that we're, we're sold a lie, frankly, that you're doomed to your genetics. This is just the way you are when it's like, no, I have the power to turn that those genes on or off. I even see a co like conversation surrounding, oh, well, you know, like even when you go to the doctor, they're going to ask you, like, do you have a family history of cardiovascular disease? Do you have a family history of type two diabetes? And you fill out that form. But it's like, is that just genetics or do we inherit trauma from our family? Generational mm -hmm. trauma is very real. And that also can impact which genes get turned on and turned off. Um, we inherit habits. Like if you're anything like me and you've witnessed just generations of alcoholism, like you are statistically more likely to have like issues with addiction, like point blank period. It's been well-researched. Um, hmm. so it's like all of those things also, it's like the generational trauma, we inherit habits, behaviors, trauma from our family as well. And it's, I just think it's very disempowering to go, well, your grandpa died of a heart attack when he was 50. And that means that's your reality too. And also like, how, what is that telling our subconscious? Like, is that telling our <laughs> subconscious? Oh yeah. Like now I'm expecting, I'm anticipating this health yes. outcome to occur because this is just my, the, the hand of cards I've been dealt. So I just think it's not, it's a false narrative and it's a disempowering narrative all at the same time. <laughs> yes. A thousand percent agree. If I could jump up and down, like I would, because I, I, I agree so deeply and it's a huge common thing. And it's something I also used to believe when I was yeah. experiencing yeah. chronic pain because I didn't understand what was like pulling that gene trigger. I didn't understand. Oh, maybe is it my stress that I'm stressed all the time? Like, yeah, that's, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. but for me, like that was the only rational reason. I think that also could be why a lot of people blame it on their genes. Oh, everyone in my family is anxious. Everyone in my family has digestive issues. Everyone in my family has Hashimoto's. So that just means I'm going to get, receive that. 
And, you know, and, and like you said, with your subconscious, our subconscious mind doesn't care what we say to ourselves, whether it's healthy or unhealthy. It listens to everything you are telling yourself. And I used to tell my, and I used to joke, like when I was in college, this was also when I was like the most physically ill and mm-hmm. mentally ill. Um, like I would say like as a joke, oh, that's sick. I'm sick. Like I'm sick oh. at that. <gasps> like, no, no, no. And it's like, no wonder why I was so plagued by all of this yeah. stuff. I would say it like 10 times a day. It's like, oh my gosh, you wonder why. And yeah. like, like with genetics and, and I like to look at like similar to you, like a lot of people have the discussion of nature versus nurture, right? Generational trauma, everything impacts you. And like, for example, both of my parents have autoimmune conditions and both of them have mental health struggles. And so I could easily look at that and be like, that's my future. I'm destined for that. But now, you know, I've, you know, retaken different tests about um, autoimmunity. I have zero left of autoimmunity. So happy for you. Thank you. Yeah. And so it's like, but I also have done, right? Like we've also, both of us have done things that are different from our families, like working out, moving, you know, working on our stress, working on trauma, you know, what are we eating? And it, it's, it's, you have to look at it from a holistic perspective, but going back to nature versus nurture, you know, we could look at, oh, my family has autoimmune and mental health issues. That means I'm going to have it. But actually like as a child, as a baby, we model our parents. We yeah. completely co-regulate with them from zero to three years old. We only feel sensations and feelings. We have no logic in our brain. So we just absorb everything from our parents. So it's like, is it that I these genes are forever? Or is it I literally don't know how to regulate my emotions because my parents didn't teach me because they didn't know. And, you know, so and it's something that is important because emotions are become trapped in the body and and just so many cascading things and and trauma and stress and just what we eat all contribute to our mental and physical health mm-hmm, mm-hmm. retweet said. <laughs> I'm like if I could jump up and down I'd be jumping up and down and I think too it's it's like you said all of these we're kind of breaking that generational cycle and that generational trauma and saying it stops with me like I'm the one I'm doing the healing work but also that's not profitable like I think the reason Mm. you're never going to go to your primary care provider and they're going to say oh (laughs) and nor do they have the time for it like we have an Mm insurance-based medical system where the average doctor's visits like less than 10 minutes so they don't have the time to talk to you about your diet for an hour but you're not like the narrative you will see. And I see it push more and more and more are that, ge- that genetics are the sole reason. And this is a very controversial topic. Genetics are the reason for obesity and genetics are the reason for type two diabetes and genetics are the reason. And, and you pretty much have no power in your hands and you're just doomed to your genetics. But why do we see that narrative being pushed forward? I don't know because maybe pharmaceutical companies can target that specific gene and upregulate or downregulate that specific gene with drugs and they can sell and patent and market drugs that are extremely profitable um and like that's why we we don't the narrative that we are push, I don't like to say the narrative I see it as the truth that we're pushing forward is very counterculture to that because it's not 
profitable. Like I want to work with people and I literally never want to see you again. I want to work with you one time. I want to get you to a good place where you're in good health. And then you can just go live your life. Like I don't want a returning customer. Pharmaceutical companies want returning customers. It's how they make their money. So yeah, I definitely think it's a lot. I think genes play a role. Absolutely. But it's multifactorial. You got it. And I heard it's like, I, I've heard the statistic and, uh, you know, maybe you could uh, fact check me or maybe you do know it, maybe you don't, but I've heard that it's like uh, 90% is lifestyle and environment and stress and like 10% is genes. Do you find that to be true? In most cases, like there's some, I think it's like less than 1% because there are yeah. some like genetic diseases that like, but it's less than 1% of gene to my knowledge someone else fact check me on that as well but it's a very very small percent that are okay this disease is 100% caused by genetics and diseases like that do exist but mo- in most cases like your genetics are playing a role but it's our environment our lifestyle our stress that are either turning on or turning off those genes it's like your body can read those genes or not read those genes they're either being expressed or not expressed so yeah, I, I also don't know the exact statistic, but it's a very small mm-hmm. percent of diseases that are 100% genetic. Yes. If that makes sense. Yes. That makes so much sense. Wow. No. Yeah. I, yeah. So for all those that say, Oh, my genes are my destiny. Shut up with that. <laughs> like shut up with that because yeah. that's just yeah. not, uh, that that's just like not the true story even though like pharmaceuticals like I think the United States is the only uh country that's like legally allowed to like push out uh like marketing towards pharmaceuticals and uh and like other countries pay for their health care so they want you to be healthy so they don't have to pay for your shit that goes wrong so of course then it that there everything becomes more accessible whole foods and, and things like that and it's there's not like a lot of foods in the United States are illegal in like Europe, Denmark, different countries because they know it makes you ill. Mm-hmm. And it's all about money. Like I, it's funny because I wasn't sure I was going to talk about this. I <laughs> my, before I went back to school for nutrition, I actually got my degree in marketing. And when I got my marketing degree, we worked with one. I won't like name drop the company. I'll let everyone <laughs> guess, but I worked with this fortune 500 company, one of the biggest food manufacturers in the world. And we helped them with their marketing plan. And they were getting pretty much like free marketing from college students. And they literally said, we could spend money to make a better product. And people, therefore people would be healthier. Like we could spend money on better ingredients, or we could spend money on marketing. So pretty much what you're saying is, you don't want to spend the money to make a better product. It's very cheap for you to manufacture it the way you're manufacturing it. So you'd rather strategically manipulate people into thinking it's safe. And that's where too, a lot of like traditional education surrounding nutrition is funded by these big companies as well. So when you hear people say, oh yeah, diet Pepsi's fine. And (laughs) fine and aspartame is fine yeah like the bulk of research does show that aspartame is fine but who's funding that research and who's fun like massive they have so much money and so Mm -hmm. I think it's like very much 
a money thing. Like these companies can get away with just using very inexpensive ingredients. There's no regulation around it, or at least there's less regulation than maybe in Europe. So they can get away with, it's like, if I'm making Skittles and I want to use red dye number 40 or beet juice, like it's probably cheaper for me to use red dye number 40 that potentially could cause health issues. So it's like the business of America. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And I, this is like, well, adding on to red dye number 40, uh, don't eat that. I've heard it can cause like hyperactivity and ADHD in children, you know, and adults. Um, but that's a whole nother, another story for what causes ADHD. Um, but yeah, like just all of that. I agree wholeheartedly. And it's like, when you look deeper at things, it's like, oh, this is disturbing. But it's like, this is why you have to think outside the box, think critically, think of people who push your, you know, typical narrative that you normally think, and just like have a more open perspective and open mind about these things. Because if not, like it's, it's, it just wreaks havoc on your mental and physical health. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. And I think like, nutrition at the end of the day should not be complicated. Like the only reason so many people are confused, like this food's good for gut health. This food's bad. Like I should be eating this. No, these foods are bad. Here are the top five foods you shouldn't eat. If you have this issue or that issue, like the reason there's so much confusion, it's like, it's not confusing at the end of the day. It's like mostly whole foods. Yes, there's nuance. Mm -hmm. Yes, it needs to be tailored to you. But like most people are going to see their health turn around dramatically just by like cooking 80 to 90% of their meals at home, eating mostly whole, mostly unprocessed foods. Like, did this come from the earth? Did this come Mm -hmm. from like an animal roaming? Like if you eat animal products. So it's like, it shouldn't be complicated, but there's all of this funding from big food manufacturers that literally it's to confuse us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I, yeah, I I just think it should be so simple. I always say like mother nature packages food and ingredients in perfect little packages. It's like if I eat oysters and I like, I get, I get the copper and the zinc and the iron, but if I supplement with zinc, there's like, there's a a lot of ways I could do that incorrectly and actually cause harm. So Mm -hmm. like whole foods at the end of the day. Yes. A hundred percent. And, uh, and like, I hear people when they say, you know, it's expensive. Yes. And it'll be expensive when you have all these illnesses that you need to constantly be going to the doctor for. And it's, it's like, you have to kind of pick your battles, right? Like in my opinion, like I spent a lot of money on food, but it's like, also, I want my brain to be functioning so that I can work with clients and work on my business and like have a good life. Uh, and, uh, and like another thing I wanted to ask you, and you can talk more about this is like, what do you find is the correlation between like mental health and anxiety with like digestive issues do you see a correlation like maybe in yourself or or with your clients one million percent and it's it's been studied pretty significantly as well where the one of the largest nerve endings in our body our vagus nerve connects our brain all the way down to our gut all the way down to our liver and so i the way i explain it is imagine a tiger is chasing you your body doesn't care if you're bloated like your body wants to get you away from the tiger right like if a tiger is chasing you, does your body care if your period's a little painful, Jessica, this month? No, it cares about 
getting you away from the tiger. You're alive. Like, yeah, your period's painful. You're alive. Uh, yeah, you're a little bloated, but you're alive. Yeah, you have hormonal acne, but you're alive. Yeah, your hair's falling out, but you're alive. And so like in our modern day, it's not a tiger chasing us. It's, oh, my boss sent me a mean email and that sent me into a spiral or, oh, I saw this on social media and that sent me into a spiral or I have no nervous system regulation tools when I'm existing in a chronic state of fight or flight. And then that is my, it's like my brain is perceiving a tiger is chasing me 24 seven, but there's actually not a tiger chasing me 24 seven. So we were never, we never evolved to exist in that state 24 seven. We like if I'm I was in a car accident like maybe a year and a half ago. And so in that moment, my heart's pounding. I'm like shaking. If you've ever been in a car accident, I'm in fight or flight. But my body is resilient enough to handle that in that moment because our bodies were designed to handle acute stressors, just not chronic. And so when we talk about digestion, it's like when we're in that chronic state of fight or flight, it like think about like let's say you eat a Chick-fil-A sandwich. And your body has to break down that Chick-fil-A sandwich into microscopic particles so your cells can use that as energy. That requires an immense amount of energy for your body to break down the Chick-fil-A sandwich into something your body can use as fuel. So like stomach acid and chewing and enzymes and like your gut requires so much energy to function. So it makes sense that that's the first thing you would experience when you're having you know, like an anxious day, or there's a lot going on that your gut's going to feel not great. For me, it's like, if I'm ever, it's usually not what I'm eating. Like I used to go back and think, oh, is it gluten bloating me? Is it dairy? Is it this? Is it that? And like we talked about, gluten was definitely a trigger for me, but as well, it's like, (laughs) um, isn't that weird? I can drink the smoothie uh, on vacation and I'm fine. And I have no gut issues. But then it, I drink the same smoothie with the exact same ingredients during my work week where I'm working a job where I'm just in a chronic state of fight or flight my entire day. And that same exact smoothie that wouldn't bloat me on the weekend is now bloating me during the week. Was it the smoothie? Was it the ingredients? Or was it? Is it just the fact that I, I'm not regulating my nervous system and I don't have the tools to do that and I'm existing in a chronic state of fight or flight? So 1 million percent like gut brain connection is so real and it's also what's not talked about a lot too it's it's a bi-directional relationship so our gut communicates to our our brain communicates to our gut but our gut also communicates to our brain so for example like last year i was doing all of the nervous system regulation things but i was still having crippling anxiety because i had a candida overgrowth and so that was sending signal to my brain like we're not okay so the brain communicates to the gut or the, yeah, the brain communicates to the gut and the gut communicates to the brain. And there's 1 million percent of connection there. And I think like, what's interesting too, like when we talk about the gut microbiome, it's such a new field of research where we have some information, but no one knows everything. So I never claim right. to like know it all. And no one really can tell you everything because it's something that's like the bulk of the research surrounding like the gut have come out within the last like 10 to 15 years. So it's definitely, I think it's more connected than we currently know. Yes. A thousand freaking percent, a thousand freaking percent. Uh, Yes, 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 yes. To all of that. Because like, like Fiona and I were also talking earlier, like how the gut 
sends signals to your brain and you know this is just individual to us and like our symptoms it might not be yours uh but like for us like we don't we feel really freaking depressed when we eat gluten and it's like our brain didn't start with the thought that it was depressed it's just the food send that signal that we're not safe because our body doesn't like it it doesn't like gluten so you know everything that you just said a hundred percent like a hundred freaking percent. Like when, you know, when I had that stressor with the breakup, I definitely was not uh, digesting my food well. uh, And like, I was really bloated uh, until I really processed a lot of that and worked through it. But it's so important because it's like you said, the mind and body are not two separate things. They're one in the same. They're always connecting to each other. And it's the same when, you know, and when we're on birth control, it stops that communication from our brain to our ovaries. Could you talk about that? Yeah. Well, what specifically about, about birth control in the brain, like how birth control impacts mental health? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, birth control is associated with, like we mentioned before, um, being prescribed at a later date. Like I believe, I believe, I don't want to butcher that statistic, but I believe it's 40% of people who go on hormone on oral contraceptives, um, that are later prescribed antidepressants or later, yeah, later prescribed some, have some sort of mental health issue. And, um, you know, like, I think we can theorize as to why that is my theory as to why so many people have mental health issues after going on birth control is just what it does to your gut. So the way I describe it is like, imagine there's a white picket fence in your gut. And so these are the tight junctions of your gut. So you have this white picket fence, one side is the food, other side is the immune system. And this little white picket fence, there's not really a white picket fence. But if we look at a single strand of hair, it's like one one thousandth the width of a single strand of hair. It's so razor thin. And so hormonal birth control, we know, rips apart that white picket fence in your gut. So particles of food that we're now in the gut are entering the bloodstream and then causing inflammation. Our body goes, whoa, you're supposed to be on the other side of the fence. Why are you on this side of the fence? Like your dog got out and is now in your neighbor's yard and your neighbor's like why is your dog in my yard and your crazy neighbor starts like shooting a gun at your dog because they have like <laughs> that's an, that's like what's happening with your immune system your body's like attack 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 the foreign invader so I don't know if if that's I, I know that leaky gut and intestinal permeability is linked to adverse mental health outcomes correlation doesn't always mean causation but um, that's like at least my theory as to why so many people, it's like all connected. Cause I've talked to so many women who go on birth control and they go, and this was my experience as well. I had gut issues going before birth control, but then I went on it and then I'm like, oh, I absolutely can't have dairy now. I absolutely can't have gluten. I absolutely like all of these, then it was beans, um, legumes, then, uh, like literally a laundry list of foods that I suddenly was reacting to and having the most severe reaction. And I personally, I don't think birth control necessarily caused that, but I do think it was like a factor, um, that, that contributed to those issues happening. So I definitely think it's connected like birth control, how it impacts the gut, the connection between the gut and the brain. And I think like what we're trying to communicate is that it's all connected. Like our whole body is connected and our traditional healthcare system is like, you go to a gastroenterologist if you've gut issues, and then you go to your psychiatrist if you have mental health issues. And then you um, go to your rheumatologist if you have autoimmune. And then you, it's like, 
we silo and put into buckets, like all of these health issues that are seemingly not connected, but in <laughs> my opinion, like seemingly not connected from our Western medical perspective, because it's just not holistic. But we're, we're just trying to make the case that the whole body's connected. And like that quote that all disease begins in the gut, I think is so freaking true. Yes. So, Yes, a thousand percent, especially like I know earlier you talked about like early antibiotic use, uh, yeah. like for, for me, oh my Lord, uh, I like also, which makes sense why I was having the bloating was yeah. I thought, so at first, like I had like, I had like four rounds of antibiotics last year because I, one, it was like a UTI and then the next, oh. it, they thought that it was another UTI, but then it was something else, like another bladder infection. So I kept taking these antibiotics and it wasn't working because it was something else. Oh. So I took four rounds of antibiotics and it makes sense why like also after the breakup that I started to bloat because it was like, like during, you know, during my relationship, I was getting this, these bladder infections. And so it's like, oh, and then I, I literally like couldn't freaking function with these infections. So I had to take something. It was horrible. Oh, a hundred percent. It it was totally a sign that my body was like, no, you are not meant to be this person. Get the fuck away. Uh, yeah. Cause I've never had a bladder infection once since being with him, but also like, yeah, not, not once, but also like, I'm not, people say like, oh, sex can cause that. But like, and I'm not like, I'm currently celibate. I don't have a partner or like, I'm yeah. not hooking up with anyone. So it's like, mm. but yeah, it's, it was definitely a sign that, Hey, this, you're not meant to be person and I was like and I knew that it was so connected and I was like uh but yeah that yeah that 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 was that and then like for years I was uh like as a child I had strep throat chronically until I was like 15 from a baby and every year I just was slapping on some antibiotics also I didn't know I was like a child right yeah. but like as a baby I remember I had strep throat three different times they gave me so many freaking antibiotics it was like every year and it's like oh no wonder what you had issues in your 20s, your oh. 20s. oh my god and yeah same for me for me it was sinus infections like as a kid and now looking back I'm like that was heavy metal toxicity so for anyone listening to this and they're like but I need to be on an antibiotic because I have I'm sick all the time and I have sinus infections I have ear infections I have this I have that get to the root as to why you're having chronic strep and why you're having chronic sinus infections and why you're having chronic ear infections because having I and this is like a completely other different tangent just think about what how our crops are being sprayed the amount of pesticides herbicides insecticides rodenticides <laughs> all of this stuff and then our soils are contaminated with heavy metals constantly we're seeing like oh this chocolate has abnormal amounts of lead yeah it's not just the chocolate it's anything that grows out of the ground because of our soil quality and I think that's the reason why so many people also if you I don't this is another random tangent like if you have metal fillings if you've ever had metal fillings yes, if your mom huge. had metal fillings when pregnant with you my mom had metal fillings when she was pregnant with me I think she still does mm -hmm. and dentists don't do that anymore because we know heavy metal toxicity is associated with chronic sinus infections, ear infections, strep, like I've had clients that are like, I've had surgery on my sinuses three times at this point. And I always ask like, do you have metal fillings? And the answer is always yes. 
Ooh, it was all yeah. connected. Um, yeah. but yeah, that's like very much a tangent, but I, oh, yeah. I think it's, it's all connected for sure. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's super, super prevalent and yeah. something that not a lot of people talk about. I heard about that a few years ago. Uh, I'm not really into his work, but, uh, I used to be, I, I tried to get on that kick of doing celery juice. That's a whole other tangent, oh, but I, I yeah. Yes. I, yes. Yeah. And in one of his podcasts, he was talking about, uh, mercury poisoning and like how it starts with metal fillings. Yeah. Uh, so that makes just complete sense. And I was like, wow, like no one teaches you these things. And like, just so many things can disrupt your body and like, yeah, sinus infections. I know people who, I also heard that like sinus infections also have to do with like mold as well. Do you find and- that to be true? Yeah. And mold is, I'm so happy you brought up mold because mold is a, so can, is a correlated with SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and gut issues. Um, for me, when I like just my own experience, cause I've been exposed to mold three times now, I truly think, and again, I, it's never one thing that leads to an autoimmune disease. It's like the point we're making is it's like, it's trauma, it's toxins, it's all, yeah. all of these factors. Um, when I was exposed to mold the third time, this was in 2020 going into 2021. We didn't find it until I moved. As we were moving out of this apartment, I moved my dresser and you could visibly see like, I was sleeping next to black mold, like right next to my bed. And I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense that I gained 30 pounds in two months changing wow, I was yeah. exercising eating well like nothing about my diet or my exercise had changed but the reason that is is because your fat cells store toxins so my fat cells were literally sequestering and storing that mold and then another thing a lot of people see this is again TMI but frequent urination um, like you cannot stop peeing that's another one from being exposed to mold that also can be a sign of blood sugar issues but for me again TMI but I like had the bladder of a woman that just gave birth like I would go into the gym and I would do jumping jacks or jump and I'd be like oh my god am I gonna pee right now and that's that's also a really weird sign that you might be exposed to mold um like you said sinus infections that's a big one um sinus infections getting sick often like when I also lived in an apartment with mold in college I was sick for like eight months like eight months straight had a like a heavy it sounded like a smoker's cough and in college I was waiting tables at a red lobster so I'm like taking orders and I'm like (laughs) taking the order I had like a heavy like it sounded bad um and again it was mold so yeah, it's definitely something that impacts the gut, the sinuses, everything, everything. That's huge. Yes. I also heard, uh, that mold, like, because your body doesn't want to inhale and and breathe in that oxygen that's filled with mold, that it can actually mimic some signs of anxiety because it shows like shortened of breath. That's what I've heard. And that's really interesting. You say that also about like your, your bladder, like if you like have to pee all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that's also a sign of like anxiety, but it's like, okay, what's causing the anxiety? It could be multiples of factors, all these factors that we're describing. Yeah. And so that's really interesting that you say that. I didn't know that about um, like your urination and like your uh, like mold, like that makes, yeah. that's like, yeah. but also what you said of what's causing it, like 
I don't want everyone listening to this to like diagnose themselves and be like, yeah, it's for sure mold. Like the very first place I would look if you're having frequent urination and anxiety, look at your blood sugar because blood, if your blood sugar is out of balance, that's another thing for me that fueled my anxiety. I did intermittent fasting for four years unintentionally it was just kind of like out of convenience I'm like oh I like doing my workout fasted I don't like the feeling of a lot of food in my stomach and then I started working corporate like my first job out of college I'm like oh I have to be up at 5 30 in the morning like I just don't want a big breakfast I'm just gonna do grab a Starbucks like on the way to work and so I did like this unintentional intermittent fasting I'm like why is my anxiety so bad Mm, I don't know maybe because your blood sugar was (laughs) dipping and then like when your blood sugar dips, then your adrenals have to shoot out stress hormones to pull out glucose out of the muscles, out of the liver. So yeah, like that's something that's not talked about a lot. Cause I think so many people will do some of these things in the pursuit of health. Like they'll do intermittent fasting because, Oh, I heard somewhere that that's good for my blood sugar, actually good for your blood sugar. But it's important to note that a lot of those studies have been done in men and postmenopausal women, not women of menstruating age. So and individuals who menstruate of menstruating age, obviously. So that's important to note too, just that it's not, I don't want anyone to think, oh, well, I'm peeing a lot. That means I have mold. Like I would look at like, how much protein are you eating in a day? What does your diet look like? Are you skipping breakfast, having a protein bar for lunch and then eating Chick-fil-A for dinner? Because that's going to cause some issues too. So don't, I would consider mold, like a root, going back to the health house analogy, like a roof of your house thing, mm-hmm. get the foundations of stuff in order too, because if you're in fight or flight too, that's going to spike your blood sugar yes. and it can lead to a myriad. It also can lead to that's, could that be why when you're anxious, you pee more? I'll don't know. I'll don't know, but <laughs> yes, yes. With, and with blood sugar, at least for me, and I'm sure a lot of people will relate to this. Like if I don't eat for more than four hours, if it's like four to six hours, bish my freaking blood sugar is dipping i feel so freaking anxious because it's like our body it's it's trying to send us a signal hey you gotta freaking eat now it's time to eat so it's really important right like the nutrition your physical health is impacting your mental health it's huge and a lot of people don't talk like a lot of people in my space they're not as like and they're not, I mean, like in my hypnotherapy school, they talked about diet and, and gut health yeah. and things like that. other, a lot of, for me, it was like my own journey with chronic yeah, pain yeah. and all that. And so like, I ask clients, what's your diet? Like what? Oh, I love that. You yeah. Do that. I love that you do that. Yeah. It's, it's important. And like, our, like I tell them, make sure you're eating every four hours. Yeah. It's super freaking important. Um, like you just have to eat enough and, and that's, that's just really important. And like, yeah, with intermittent fasting, like you said, it's not meant for menstruating individuals. And so it's like, if you're like, don't do it. (laughs) If you are a woman in that age bracket, it's just like not a good idea because if you're already in fight or flight, skipping your meal, it's like, shoot, like Mm -hmm. where, where, how are you going to be calm in, in that state it's just like right. fueling each other and it's something like that's not it's like you said it's in my space people neglect everything you talk about the nervous <laughs> system the working through trauma in my space people are like ooh, parasites like all folks and I'm not I'm not saying parasites aren't real what I'm saying is like that's not it's likely multifactorial anyways but like in my space we ignore 
like a lot of people ignore the nervous system re- regulation and the trauma. And then it sounds like in your space, maybe there's like less education <laughs> yeah. around the physical. So that's why it's also, and like you said too, like when you're going to like doing certifications and things like that, it's literally not possible for you to know everything inside of like an eight month or a 12 month certification, whatever it is. So I think it's so cool that you've done, like you found what works for you. And then there's things you recommend to clients that also address the physical because just that one tip of eating breakfast, I think you asked like, do any of the physical things impact mental health, mental health outcomes? A lot of my clients find, okay, I just started eating breakfast. That's wild. My anxiety has been cut in half from like stopping intermittent fasting and different things work for different people. Like I have met people where they feel freaking amazing doing fasting and that's great for them, but listen to your intuition in your body at the end of the day. Like if you're having crippling anxiety and you're drinking a Red Bull and then going to the gym and then not eating till noon, like maybe we reevaluate that. Maybe we get in like a little snack before the gym and then you eat something after and you can see if that impacts like your anxiety because that's that's a nervous system regulation tip. I put that into the same bucket as I would breath work and meditation and mindfulness like I put eating breakfast in the same bucket as that because it's it's like like you said eating every three to four hours it's making your body feel safe it's like I have fuel when you don't have fuel what is that telling your body oh there's a famine like your body doesn't know Chick-fil-A's down the street or Chipotle's down the street or our body goes oh there's no food this is not we are not safe we are not good so I completely agree with you. I think eating every three to four hours, getting in breakfast, like, and and play with it for yourself or those watching, like, I love to experiment. Like if you want to play with what works for you, like try eating breakfast, eating within the first hour of the day before you have your coffee for three months, see how you feel, keep track of your anxiety. Does it decrease? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, yeah, like you said, the physical matters a lot too. Yes. And, and I know you talk about this a lot on social media and friends of mine in college, they would be like, I'm not hungry in the morning. So I don't need breakfast. And I, I, I remember like I was doing a public speaking course, like in college and literally I, I I was fucking passionate about it. Like back then I was like, you need to eat breakfast. Like you need to eat Uh breakfast. And I, I literally made an entire (laughs) presentation in college about the importance oh, of eating breakfast I love and, that uh, thanks yeah my friend literally made fun of me for it she's like Valerie you're too passionate about this like like it's not that I just am not hungry so like I'd love for you to talk about that oh yeah well there's many reasons you could feel like you don't have an appetite in, in the morning for a lot a lot of the clients like I'll through I'll walk through my personal experience what I did for years I would go to Dunkin', I'd get a Dunkin' iced coffee the size of my freaking head, and then I'd go to class on an empty stomach, or I'd go to I'd go to work like with just this giant Dunkin' iced coffee, and then maybe I'd have like a protein bar in my purse, and then I would have like a big dinner. Like dinner was the main event, and um, it's like that really should be flipped. Now at this point, I don't even remember the question you asked me. I apologize. I no, no, that's okay. Out. No, no, that's okay. I love it. Sorry, I just let in my cat. So like, I'm just like, okay, I had to let him in. He's just <laughs> my door. Um, yeah, so my question was like, people say that they're not hungry before yes. breakfast. Yeah. So like, think about caffeine. We all know caffeine's an appetite suppressant. Like coffee is an appetite suppressant. Why is that? Because mm-hmm. it is 
spiking your stress hormones. That's why you have energy because it's spiking your cortisol and stress hormones. So you're probably like, especially if you're someone with a lot of trauma who you live your life in a chronic state of fight or flight, that's going to suppress your appetite. So that's one thing. Um, that's literally your body going, I don't feel safe. Maybe there's a famine. Mm -hmm. Let's slow down the metabolism. Let's slow down (laughs) this function because we don't know that Chipotle is down the street. We'll conserve energy. And a lot of my clients too, a lot of clients that come to me, they're eating so little and they're rapidly gaining weight. And they're like, why is this happening? My doctor told me to eat 1200 calories and I'm gaining weight eating 1200 calories. And that breaks my freaking heart because it's like, Oh, so your doctor's plan was just to slow down thyroid function even more. Like let's take an already slow, poor metabolic health. Let's just slow it down even more. So when it comes to appetite one, it could be like nervous system regulation, all the things Val talks about that will help you get your appetite back Two. Think about it this way. If you've been skipping breakfast since middle school, like me, okay, all of junior high, high school, no breakfast, college, no breakfast, post-grad, first job, no breakfast. So I've probably been doing intermittent fasting for like 10 plus years and not even aware of it. Okay. Think of it like a friend that you want to hang out with. And every time your friend says, no, I don't want to hang out. You like call them up. Do you want to hang out? No. Do you want to hang out? No. Do you want to hang out? No. That's your hunger cue. Like you've trained your body to shut down that hunger cue because you've ignored it. So at some point, maybe it was back in junior high, you're like, oh, I'm not going to eat breakfast. I have to go to school. It's super early. You stopped eating cereal and your body stopped sending you the hunger cue. And that doesn't mean you can't get back your hunger cue. And that's why I always say it's my biggest issue with intuitive eating. You cannot intuitively eat if your body's out of balance. You have to bring the body back to balance first, and then you can intuitively eat. But if you are out of balance, it is not intuitive eating to go, I'm not hungry, I'm not going to eat breakfast, and then I'm going to have a protein bar, and then another coffee, and then eat a huge dinner. That's not intuitive eating. That is when your body's out of balance. So it's not like, I'm going to listen to this hunger cue. No, your body's not sending you the hunger cue because your body's out of balance. It might be in fight or flight, and you've been ignoring and suppressing your hunger and full, your hunger cue for years, probably. Yes, a hundred percent. And I want to add a point with intuitive eating. So like I, you know, I used to really struggle with orthorexia uh, when I was really starting my health journey. I had a really, really crappy nutritionist uh, who I was working with. Yeah, she was not, she would have me on these whack freaking detoxes. She had me very like under eating, like extremely, extremely restrictive. And that really triggered like orthorexia. And I used to deal with that. And, And for those who don't know what that is, it means like, okay, so orthorexia is basically like an eating disorder that you feel restricted. Like you feel like I have to eat clean, you know, I have to eat specifically clean and you'll, you'll like viciously take out food groups and it's just like, you can maybe have five, 10 safe foods or, you know, stuff like that. And so, um, but my point with intuitive eating was that like helped me work through that. But also like, if you have, I know you mentioned like candida overgrowth and like with, uh, mental health issues, if you're really stressed, your body is looking for carbs, sugar, it's going to want sugar and carbs. So intuitive eating, if you're really stressed, or if you're struggling with candida overgrowth or things that make you crave carbs and sugar, it's, it's not really intuitive eating. It's your body. Like you said, it's just a sign that your body's out of balance. And it's like you said, like when you mentioned struggling with orthorexia, like 
an unhealthy pursuit of health almost like being Mm -hmm. way too restrictive. And then it's also not helpful when you're working with a professional who is guiding you in that way. It's like everything you mentioned, I'm like, throw a pillow, detox, throw a pillow. Like, why are we even talking about those things if the foundation isn't down? So, and I hear that from so many people and it breaks my freaking heart. Um, So I'm sorry you had that experience, but like you said, like there's so many things about intuitive eating. I freaking love, like I am the biggest fan of like dialing into your intuition, listening to your hunger cues, listening to your fullness cues. Okay. And like, I'm, I'm naturally like a very intuitive eater. If I'm looking in my fridge, I'm like, Oh, I have soup or, you know, I could have eggs for breakfast. I'm actually not feeling eggs. I'm gonna have salmon in the morning. Like sometimes I have dinner for breakfast because it's just sometimes breakfast food doesn't sound good. So I'm a, I'm a big advocate for certain principles of intuitive eating, but you mentioned things like candida when I had a candida overgrowth and it was contributing to chronic UTIs and chronic yeast infections and hormonal acne and period pain that made me pass out and throw up and then PMS and all of these joint pain. Um, I was, it was insatiable, insatiable Mm -hmm. sugar cravings to the point. It's like, I could be a checkout line at the grocery store. I would chew my right arm off for a Snickers. (laughs) Like that. I like to say with food, like where we should be and people have different opinions than me on this, but my approach is we should be in a place of neutrality. Oh, like I can have the cookie. If I don't, it's not the end of the world. We are not in a place of neutrality when we're like, I will literally die if I don't eat the cookie. And so that can either be a sign, are you being overly restrictive or is there an imbalance in the body that's contributing to that? I just think it's very poor advice. Like let's say there's someone who's insulin resistant or type two diabetic. 88% of Americans have some degree of insulin resistance. Only 12% of Americans are metabolically healthy. So 88% of people, should we just be saying, oh, you're craving sugar? Oh, just go drink a Coca-Cola and um, oh, just eat candy bars because you're craving sugar and that's what your intuition is telling you. No, why don't we get you to a place, we, like not necessarily restricting those things, but let's focus on eating enough protein, getting in fiber. Average American isn't getting anywhere close to the amount of fiber they should be getting. Um, let's focus on balanced meals throughout the day. And what you'll realize is that, oh, actually like at the end of the night, I might have a sugar craving, but it's not intense. It's not ruling or controlling me. It's neutral. Like I have, mm-hmm. I always have sweets in my house. I have gluten-free cookies. It might make me sound so boring. I have gluten-free cookies <laughs> in my cabinet. I've had cookies go bad because I forget they exist. Like when I had a candida overgrowth, that never would have happened. I would have been like, where is the sugar? So it's like, let's bring balance back to the body first so that you can be. It's like intentionally eating before you intuitively. Yes, I think that's a great rule of thumb. And I think that's excellent. And you mentioned about insulin resistance. I'd love for you to talk about that. I know this is really long. So I appreciate those who are still listening. But like, yeah, we, we, we just like, I I live for this. Um, and literally I started like lifting again because of you. you Yeah. Cause you talk so much about insulin resistance and and how it helps. And there's so many great benefits to lifting. And could you talk a little bit about, you know, insulin resistance? Well, I'm so happy you wanted to talk about this because there's also, there's like some studies that have recently come out about the connection between insulin resistance and anxiety and mental health issues. So there's like, and I think it's like multifactorial where like some people's theory is that when we have metabolic issues that can fuel neural inflammation, like inflammation Mm -hmm. in the brain, and then Mm -hmm. that can contribute to anxiety. That's a theory. Like we need more research. So like a very new area of research, 
Um, but also like when it's like a vicious cycle, like if I have anxiety, if I'm chronically in a state of fight or flight, I'm more likely to have big blood sugar spikes and dips. And then that could be fueling insulin resistance. But, um, can I like walk through, do we have the time to walk through, like explaining what insulin resistance is first? Yes. Yes. Okay. So the way I like to break it down, it's like when I eat food, there's going to be glucose. It doesn't, what, even if you're keto, like, let's say you just eat steak and eggs all day your body still runs on glucose. Like your body just has to take that protein and fat and convert it into glucose in a different way. So let's say I have like for lunch today, I had a breakfast sandwich. I had a kiwi and like a little side salad. I eat that. I have glucose. My cells use that glucose as energy. When I'm insulin resistant, my body does not use that fuel as efficiently. It's like you're filling up your gas tank at the gas station and you're like, the gas isn't going in your car. It's like, it's like flowing onto the ground. That's like an analogy for insulin resistance. So it's like insulin is the key that lets the glucose into your cell. So the gas can go in your gas tank. So your car can use that energy, that, that gas as fuel. So if I'm insulin resistant, it's like, let's try this key. Nope, that's not working. Let's try this key. Nope, that's not working. Let's try, let's make a bunch of keys. Okay, well, now the glucose is just chilling here, like knocking at your front door. It can't come in. And that's a chronic state of inflammation that 88% of Americans are has have some degree of insulin resistance. This is, even if you haven't been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, 88% of Americans have some degree of insulin resistance, which pretty much means I consider that like pre pre diabetes where 10 mm-hmm. years, 20 years, 30 years down the road, you very well could have like a type two diabetes or insulin resistance diagnosis. And, um, that contributes to, like we said, it could contribute to neural inflammation, which could fuel anxiety, but as well, again, it's just a chronic state of inflammation. So non-alcoholic fatty liver is becoming one of the top 10 leading causes of death in the United States. It's creeping up to one of the top 10 leading causes of death. I don't think it's quite there yet, but this is where fat accumulates around our liver because we're in a state of insulin resistance and our liver can literally shut down and like cirrhosis of the liver can occur if if non-alcoholic fatty liver goes on for long enough where the liver just is not functioning. Um, and we can die (laughs) if our liver is not functioning. So it's very, very dangerous. And, um, it also impacts our hormones. So you mentioned weightlifting, weightlifting is the num. I consider it. If anyone listening to this has PCOS polycystic ovarian syndrome, or maybe you're struggling with hair loss, acne, irregular periods, painful periods, that is medicine. Lifting weights is medicine. But when we go to the doctor, it's, Oh, you have a regular periods, just take birth control. That will regulate them. Okay. It might be fault. Like you're having a, like a, not a real period. Like that's not a real period when you are doing something. I consider weightlifting again, medicine, because it's helping improve insulin sensitivity when we're insulin resistant, which just means that glucose cannot get into the cell. This pushes on your ovaries to make more testosterone. And I get asked all day, Fiona, I'm losing hair. What do I do? Like hair loss is something so many people are dealing with. And the first thing I ask when someone's like, I'm losing hair, what do I do? first question I ask is, are you lifting weights? Because I'm not saying hair loss is always a byproduct of insulin resistance. There's many things that can cause hair loss, but that's the first question. And anecdotally, I've noticed, like I get, I get asked all the time, like drop, and I'm flattered. People are like, drop the skincare routine. Your skin looks so much better. Your acne isn't as bad. Girlfriend, there's no skincare routine. It's lifting weights. Like (laughs) drop the hair care routine. What are you using on your hair? I don't, I literally just use shampoo and conditioner. I lift weights. That's it. That's it. So there's just, there's so many benefits. Like no one would 
very few people lift weights and go, this is going to regulate my menstrual cycle, or this is going to help with my period pain. But just by how lifting weights improves insulin sensitivity, it's bringing down inflammation. And then there's less of an androgen response, which is what's fueling acne, hair loss, irregular periods, PCOS like symptoms. So I got asked on TikTok, mm-hmm. like, what's the root cause to PCOS? It's like, in my opinion, it's just metabolic syndrome. Like it's your metabolism. Your hormones aren't even the problem. And so many people are like, my hormones yes. are the problem. Your metabolism is the problem. And that's why your hormones are out of whack. Your hormones are just mirroring the imbalance. So mm-hmm. I love that you're lifting weights because that's like truly is medicine. I, I watch your stories and I'm so proud of you. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I love it because when I wasn't, cr- I, I used to always lift. I would lift like five days a week when I was in high school and thinking about it, like my, in my early twenties, that's when like uh, acne was really bad. Uh, yeah. But in high school, I had none. And it's like, oh, it kind of makes sense because I was lifting all the time, but then like the chronic pain started getting really bad. So I had to switch to doing yoga and low intensity. And now that I've moved into, you know, regulation and now I'm able to do that. Lifting is so freaking helpful. And like, like I went out uh, to to dinner with my family. My brother was like, and I'm not even going to lie. Like I like flexed for my brother, like feel my bicep. And he's like, wow, you're getting stronger. And I was like, I was like, I was like, feel my back. He's like, shit, man. Like you're really getting stronger. Like pop off for me. (laughs) But I was like, yeah, I love it. When you start seeing results or like other people notice that you're seeing results. Like that's, it's very satisfying. Yes. And that's huge with insulin resistance. And literally three out of four of my grandparents had, uh, I believe it was type two diabetes. And so it makes just complete sense that they would have that. Uh, and like, you know, how we're stopping our genes from expressing that. Right. And it's just so important to, you know, do these things, you know, and a lot of people, um, you know, think of weightlifting as like more of a, a I don't want to say for physical uh, results. I mean, yes, that's great. But also like there are legit like, like health, I know it sounds stupid, but like health benefits to lifting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, I don't know about you, but that's where the shift took place for me. Like I've been weightlifting for a year and anytime I think of in the past where I tried to stick to a workout routine, it was like sadly because I hated myself. I'm like, I'm going to work out because I hate myself and this is going to make me feel better. And guess how long I stuck with that? Mm, Maybe a week, maybe two weeks. And then I fall off. But when you work out because I love myself and it sounds so cheesy, but when you work out because you love yourself and because you are doing it for your health, for some reason, that's like, that motivates the heck out of me, but self-loathing, like 12 out of 10, don't recommend. It's not a good... (laughs) not a very consistent motivator, you know? And it's interesting that you said dementia, like I know you mentioned dementia. I think you, that three out of four of your family members have like some form of metabolic syndrome. And then that, because dementia is also, they're starting to call it type three diabetes because of how Mm. tied it is to blood sugar. And I think if, I don't know if you have like any like older populations who listen to this podcast, but the, as you age, putting on muscle is more and more and more and more important. It's the organ of longevity. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And yeah, my, my grandma, like what I think there were multitude of, of things with dementia with her. I mean, she never did like 
trauma work. I mean, obviously she was stressed all the time. She had three kids, you know, she's busy, whatever. And, um, like she had generational trauma, like her parents went through the war and, uh, like as like, and also in that generation, they were pushing like sugar-free fat-free foods and she, she, they would always eat that. And then also like a few, like six years ago, she had like a mini stroke, which can be an indicator of dementia. Plus she also like fell down the stairs and like her brain was like bleeding and that can cause dementia. And then on top of like medications and she didn't really work out other than walking. So it makes sense how it cascaded into dementia and all of these other issues, right? It's never like you said, one thing. It makes complete sense why it, it was like that. And so I'm going to start with that point. And then with the self-loathing part with exercise, a hundred percent, I, that's the exact reasons why I used to work out because I really didn't like myself. I hated the shit out of my body and I felt like my body was betraying me. I felt like, uh, I also, but yeah, literally like, since you talked about it on your Instagram about insulin resistance, I'm like, I just, this, it, it's now because of a health thing. And then yeah. it's like, because you want to feel good in your body when you're 80, not necessarily to look good. That's a side effect, of course. Yeah. But like, it's, it's so freaking important to like, ha- yeah, that's, that's the, how I stay consistent too. So yeah. yeah, I see it the same way. I'm like, cause I used to, I even think in college, like one of my friends just was like, so fit. And I'm like, I just want to have a fat ass. Like, I don't know if I can, I can say that word. You can I'm say like, that word, yeah. I'm like, I just want to have a fat ass and like go yeah. to the gym and have this giant butt and like, because <laughs> I always have this flat little white girl butt. And like, anytime I try to pursue aesthetic related goals, it just like has not stuck. Like it's not enough of a motivator for me. Maybe for some people it is. For me, it's just never been enough. And the way yeah. I see it, it's like, I'm going to pursue health. And then having a fat ass is a byproduct of that. Like <laughs> I'm going to pursue health and like work on my thyroid health and my hormones and like do this. So when I'm 70 and I fall down a flight of stairs, my bones are strong and healthy because lifting weights decreases your risk for osteoporosis. Like I'm gonna fall down a flight of stairs. I'm just gonna get right up. Like I'm not going to a nursing home because I have put in this work to build muscle to make my body stronger and resilient. And then having a fat ass is a byproduct of that. <laughs> like, yes. That's yes. A thousand percent. And also I've heard that like lifting weights also re- either reverses or like reduces your biological age. Is that true? Have you heard of that? I have not, but it would make sense. It would yes. make sense that it would. Yes. And something, okay, this, this is, I found interesting, uh, like with aging. So like, mm-hmm. I've gone to different like retreats, like I, in 2021, I went to the Joe Dispenza ret- retreat, oh! meditation retreat. It was freaking amazing. I, I loved it. It was awesome. And then when I went to, um, when I did my live training and in, in my RTT live training in person, literally what I noticed was these people were in their forties and fifties. They looked like they were 20 years old because a lot of them exercise, they lift weights and they deal with their stress. People who are, who are going to meditation retreats and are into hypnotherapy usually want to, you know, help with their stress and trauma and do all yeah. those things that we've been talking about. And it's like, yeah, I feel like now a lot of people in our generation, like if you're in your twenties or in your third, well, maybe not your thirties, but in your twenties, I'm noticing we all look, I mean, not all, but a lot of us look a lot younger. Like a lot of people think I look like I'm 15. You look really young. 
Thanks. Yeah. You have a young, yeah, you look really young. Yeah. I can see that in a good way. In a good yeah. way. That's a good That's okay. thing. You're going to yeah. be like 40 and people are like, are you 20? That's a good yeah. thing. I love it. Um, but I absolutely think, I, I agree with you. And I think what we do know is that when we are in fight or flight, you're going to have bigger blood sugar spikes and dips. And we know it's like all, all I see on TikTok is like anti-aging, retinol, skincare. It's like, are we not going to talk about how blood sugar actually causes premature aging? Like if you are on a blood sugar roller coaster, which for people who don't know, like that looks like midday crashes. That looks like intense sugar cravings. That looks like around noon. I feel like I need to take a nap feeling like you need to take a nap after every meal, feeling like you need a little something sweet after every meal. Like those are all sa- frequent urination. Um, all again, and people normalize it. People say, Oh, I just, mm-hmm. have a sweet tooth. I just have a sweet tooth. Like that's just who I am. I just always need a little bit something sweet after meals. Okay, fine. Like have a little something sweet after meals. I'm not mad at that, but after every single meal, you feel like you'll die if you don't have a little bit of sugar. Like that's a sign you're having a blood sugar spike in dip. And that also causes premature aging. And I think so many of us are like you said, like we're breaking, like we're breaking the cycle of all this trauma and we're working on our stress and we're working on our nutrition. And I think, could that be the reason? Cause I agree with you. I think our generation's just like aging a little bit differently than maybe past generations. Yes. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, like, like you said, it's like, that makes so much sense how stress is correlated with blood sugar spikes. Cause like, I look at like my uncle, for example, I'm not saying that like, if you don't have kids or you're not married, you're not going to be more stressed, but like, and uh, my uncle doesn't have children or um, a spouse. So for him, he looks way younger and it's like, oh, it makes sense because he's not stressed and those blood sugar, it's not causing this blood sugar dips and then him to look his actual age. Yeah. Goodness. That's so funny. Cause I'm like, mm, I don't, I, I genuinely am at a point in my life. I don't know about you, but I'm like, I don't know if I want to have kids or not. Like I'm very on the fence about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's just living his life. Like no kids. Yeah. <laughs> Child yeah. Looking young. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I also like, yeah, th- this is another tangent. Uh, you know, I guess we're just sharing all our personal shit, but I like yeah. it. So, yeah. uh, yeah. So like for me, like this year, like my, la- I, you know, my last partner, he like before then I always wanted kids. And then when we met, I was like, mm, I don't think I want to have kids, but it was really, cause I was like with him not saying that, like, but yeah, also yeah. like for me, it was like, I noticed some things that like, I wouldn't want to be passed down to my children, like from him. So then I was like, mm, I don't think, and like, also I was really dysregulated a little bit because that just relationship wasn't for me. Yeah. And so I think like when we're dysregulated, it's really hard to process another person's emotions, let alone our own. So then it mm-hmm. can be really challenging. Like for me, I think that was like a big indicator. Now I feel like I do want kids again because I feel more regulated. But, like, when I'm really dysregulated, uh, I definitely, like, just don't want children. And also, like, I just think it's totally okay not to want to have children, especially, it's just, it's a lot. And especially, like, for me also, like, what was also going into my mindset was, like, as a child, I was that parent pleaser. My dad had multiple sclerosis, and I would help take care of him. And my brother was autistic. I would take care of him as well. And so for me, it was like my whole life, it wasn't about me. It was about taking care of these, my family members. And it was like, 
you know, it's like now it's like, I just want my life right now in this moment to just like be able to like, I can just take care of myself and I can like live my best life right now. Well, like in the future, yes. But it's like, you know, just so many factors go into it. Yeah. It's like the partner you're with, I'm sure influences like, okay, maybe if you're with someone else, maybe you'll want to have kids, but that partner is just like, no, I, I, and yeah. And also too, I always forget that your brother has autism too. Cause so yeah. does mine. Yeah. And yeah. It's a very similar dynamic, like very yeah. similar. Dynamic. So we're just like, really <laughs> I know, so it's, freaky. it's really freaky. Yeah. For real. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you have anything else to share about like that topic or anything like that? Um, what about like autism specifically, like growing up with a sibling with autism or? Yeah, we can definitely talk about that. Uh, I know this is getting hella long, but like, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, But like, it could have been like to close out anything you wanted to talk about with kids or, you know, things like that. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much like what I wanted to say on that. Um, But yeah, I also think too, going back to what we said about just like chronic health issues being multifactorial, it's like that definitely was a piece for me too. Like growing up with like people in my family with substance abuse issues and then having a brother with like very, very, very high level of care need, like Mm -hmm. needed an eight, like my mom left her career to stay at home and like take care of my brother. And then that was like its own form of trauma because then it was like, one income household and then um like there was a lot of like financial abuse there where like I'm gonna shut off your credit card and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that and then I'm watching this as a kid like okay like most of my life has just been misindependent like I'm gonna make my own money I'm gonna do my own thing like I'm not gonna ask for help from anyone because and that that also I definitely think deteriorated my health and led to a lot of like just existing in a chronic state of fight or flight like we are meant to have community and like ask for help and no one yes. can do all of this work on our own yes. um but that was like my big thing of like I don't ask for help from anyone like I'm gonna just be so independent so self-sufficient and like to a certain degree that's amazing like how yes. cool is it like we live in a world now like there was a time where women couldn't even have credit cards and bank yes accounts. like she's gonna say that yeah Oh my God. But at the same time, it's just, it's also, it gets to a point. It's not healthy to have that level of hyper-independence. So yes. that's like a lot of where my trauma is without getting too deep into it. No, yeah, no, I totally hear you. I used to definitely be miss uh, hyper-independent as well. Cause like, also like I was the parent pleaser and, uh, also it, I, um, Another important thing uh, is there is something and I learned in my hypnotherapy training. Uh, I'm going to get to my point, but there's four roles that everyone unconsciously plays in a household. You could either overlap with them. Uh, It's very unconscious to get our needs met and to get like attention. And it's super unconscious and it's really interesting. So there's four roles. So there's number one is like the chronically sick one. Uh, Number two. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And the second one is like the difficult or rebellious one. This could be someone with substance abuse issues. This could be someone who's just the rebel. Uh, And then, or like the difficult one. The third is the caretaker. And the fourth is the perfect one. And I was literally all, all different ones. Can I be all of them? 
No, yes, I, I was all of them at different points of my childhood and my life. But yeah, from co- like from college to like now, I would say I'm like the perfect one. Uh, yes. But yeah, like, but my ex used to think that I was the rebel because I just did very different things compared to my parents and just like all that stuff. And I kind of resonate with that, not in a difficult sense, but like I do things differently. Like I have my own business. I you know, I'm not in corporate America, you know, just certain things that typical people usually do. And and that's okay. But yeah. And just, I think very differently in terms of physical health, mental health compared to maybe the, the, I don't want to say regular average person, you got it. But yeah, which role do you think you've played? I've definitely played all of mine (laughs) in my lifetime. Yeah, I think like, it's interesting to look at me and my sister, because I think both of us played like, perfect one like Mm. we I was the person in high school that like I was a violinist and I did and I was like always trying to be like first chair violin and like always trying to have a 4.0 and then when I went to college I was like ooh, you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna work 18 credit hours and then I'm gonna you know I'm I'm gonna take 18 credit hours of classes and then I'm gonna work a full-time job and then I'm gonna be like VP of marketing and this club and then be VP of this and that club and that I I, most of my college experience I also then contributed to chronic illness because it was just like in a just go 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 and I know you talked about that too where you're just like in a chronic state of fight or flight achieving 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 it's never enough and then once I got to the end of college I was so burnt out and so like had that post-grad depression of, yes. of just like deep, deep, deep mental health issues. Cause I was so burnt out and I was always, I literally remember so vividly being a kid and my mom saying, I'm just so glad that you're not a problem. Like, I'm so glad, like, I don't have to worry about you. Cause she was Ooh. always, and I understand where that came from. Like I understand yes. her perspective, but I also look at my sister too, who's like literally in a sorority 4.0, like scholarship, like just a very much academic achievement was I think the case for both of us and even in my career I have to catch myself because I'm an overworker like I Mm -hmm. always especially when you have your own business there's no one talking like hey girl it's time to shut your laptop and be done working (sighs) I'm someone who could just keep I'm honestly very frightened by my ability to just like go 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 work 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 and then it gets to a point of burnout that's so intense and I'm like "Mm." so it's like I've definitely had to have awareness around that like in my own entrepreneurship journey and I have much better boundaries now but when I first started my business there were no boundaries it was like I'll work all day and I think that's also a way to like not feel what you're that things you need to feel and like different triggers mm-hmm. like we all find we all have our own addictions and I think yes. some are just more societally acceptable like it's very societally acceptable if you have a 4.0 and oh you're just a hard worker but like you can have an addiction to work you can have an addiction to academic achievement you can have an addiction to people pleasing but there's just certain things that are societally acceptable and then other other addictions that are not societally acceptable but they're all equally harmful yes this is so important I'm so glad you brought this up and I just want to talk about like what your mom said it's really interesting because my mom said something similar and that's so damaging to a child because then you think my needs aren't important my feelings don't matter and then like you said you always have to be perfect because you can't be that problem and it's it's really freaking damaging and yeah yeah, it can cause it's just so many issues especially with overworking and 
that's I played the same role in college so yeah a hundred percent and yeah at the beginning of when I started my business too it's so funny like we just sound so similar uh at the the start of yeah at the start of my business uh I was working as a case manager full-time and so I was doing that working with children you know traumatized children working through that and then at night I would work on my business and I would do RTT sections so I'd work from 8 a.m to like 11 p.m like no boundaries whatsoever I was working all the time and like I would even I I think I'd work like six and a half days a week and it wasn't like a healthy balance at all and then it got to a certain point where I got so burnt out I literally couldn't work for a few months and like thank god I had money saved but like literally I like my body like literally shut down and I couldn't do anything for a few months like I had to stop yeah. Uh, now I have great boundaries and like balance and, and it's still something I, I work on is making sure like, okay, if I'm avoiding something, but now I, I'm like, I don't want to get to that point. So I really try to be cognizant of that. We've got to learn from our own experiences though. Like sometimes I do think you have, you do have to, I hate saying that, but at least for me, I have to learn things the hard way. Like you could tell me all day, like, cool I'm gonna literally burn myself out do things the hard way I have to learn and it's so annoying like can I just learn from people's <laughs> advice no um but yeah I think sometimes you have to learn the hard way and then go okay I burnt out now it's time to set some boundaries and if I don't do that that's just going to keep happening again so a hundred percent we have very similar experiences like yes trauma is even very similar it's <laughs> yeah man it's really freaky I know you're really into astrology I know uh I I have like a Libra moon I believe and I know you said Libra rising we we DM'd about that I love Libra moons yeah Libra rising so I love it yeah girl you know you're rising in your sun yeah my sun is a Taurus and then my rising is a Cancer love that what a beautiful chart that's like I I this is why we vibe because I love a little like water moon a little water earth air in there that's a great chart that's a great love it thank you queen yes but yeah this conversation was so fucking amazing thank you to everyone who's listening to the end I know we talked for a hot minute but like we had a fucking blast at least I had a blast yeah no this was so fun it doesn't even feel like I feel like we've been talking forever but it doesn't feel like we've been talking that long it feels like 20 minutes (laughs) yes and I just think it was awesome because we're just both super passionate about what we do and like where where can people reach out to you and find you yeah so I would just go over to my Instagram it's just heal.with.fifi um yeah heal.with.fifi over on Instagram and TikTok and I'm not currently taking clients at this moment I don't know when this uh podcast will come out but I will likely be taking new clients in April um so when I when I open new client spots again I'll definitely like usually I talk about it my stories my feed um I'll have like my website and my bio and stuff like that Liddy amazing well thank you so much for being on the podcast today Fiona I really really appreciate it yeah thank you for having me oh of course of course <laughs>